Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com slash Sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. Rosemary signed articles asking, what's the ethics of care? Should we buy into this stuff? Is this actually a valuable perspective? So what we want to do first is get down, what is the ethics of care? And Carol Gilligan starts out by contrasting her work with this guy, Colbert. So how many of you have heard of the Colbert scale? One, has anybody else heard of it? It's about moral development. It's got six stages. Does this ring a bell with anybody? They use it sometimes in education, psychology, sociology. Where else would you run into? Maybe in business, maybe in a few other places. Colbert postulated that human beings would go through this levels of moral development. So six, five, four, three, two, one. Six is the highest. Most people never make it to that level. As a matter of fact, Colbert, in his actual research, said that most human beings never get past level three or four. It's pretty rare. Some of the critics of Colbert have thought that, you know, that he's saying everybody gets through this, where, where the ethics of care is going to be criticizing it, is in thinking that women typically don't get very high in it. So Colbert sets out this scale and put the actual stage. Bottom level is punishment and obedience. Why do the right thing? Because if you don't, you'll get punished. What is being a good person, obeying the authorities, not even obeying the rules, just obeying the authorities that are telling you what to do. But why is it good? Keeps you out of trouble. You don't like getting you know, hit in the face, or you know, when you're a little kid, spanked or sent to your room or yelled at. You don't like somebody taking money away from you. Therefore, you're going to act like a decent human being and, and behave like that. Now, as soon as you take away the threat of force, what happens? All hell breaks loose, right? They will do just about anything. So this is the very bottom level where people can be compelled to do the right thing, but it's it's, it's really iffy. <laughs> you know, it's not going to be very reliable. The second stage he calls instrumental, and based on this sort of limited reciprocity, I will be good to you, and you will in turn be good to me. That's why I will be good. I want to be a good boy because that way I get the rewards I like. Getting to go to the park, candy, not being shut out of opportunities, those sorts of things. So this is what he calls the pre-conventional stage. Why the pre-conventional stage? Well, because this stuff exists before any social conventions. Then, when we get to level three, this is often called the good boy, nice girl stage, and it has to do with relationships, with maintaining relationships, with social approval, with people saying you're a good person. It's like, you know, the summer here, the adolescent conforms to prevailing mores because he or she seeks the approval of other people. So the approval is the, the chief good there. So you can see we're already going through a hierarchy of goods, too, right? This, by the way, level three and four are called the conventional stage because social conventions tell you what it means to be a good boy or a nice girl or a nice boy or a good girl, you know, however you want to frame it. It tells you what social approval is. Level four, we get to what's called the law and order orientation. There are rules, you should follow them because they're rules. 
The adolescent begins to do his or her duty, show respect for authority, maintain the given social order for its own sake. Why? This is where they become interested in questions like honor, respect, in order to gain that, to be an honorable as opposed to a shameful person. We get a little bit higher and we get to the social contract level. Now we're at what are called post-conventional. It's no longer just about what your society is telling you, is expected of you. It's now you as an individual at a much higher level in this case, contracting with other people and saying, let's all you know, work out something that is mutually agreeable that we can all settle on. Usually this is not done in terms of an explicit agreement where we all actually get together and say, here's going to be our basic framework. But the idea is you start asking, well, what if, what if everybody behaved this way? Wouldn't society break down? I should behave this way so I can keep things going. And that goes beyond the law and order or good boy, good girl orientations. And then finally, we have universal ethical principles. Things like the categorical imperative. Holberg was very influenced by Kant. And the basic idea is, look, when you're a baby, you start out down here. Nobody is like born up here. That takes time and development. And it, there's a lot of ways in which human beings could fail and maybe never get past this level. Holberg, interestingly enough, a lot of his early research was done in prisons. And what he found was that not only a lot of the inmates, but actually a lot of the guards were at this level. And that a few other things that are really interesting that he found out, in order to develop to a higher level, it's not something that happens naturally, and it's not something that happens just by being in a better environment or having better role models. You actually need, generally, some sort of conflict to take place. And some people say, hey, quit acting like a jerk. Here's something better for you to do. You need some sort of clash of perspectives in order to be able to carry on the reflection that's required. And probably a lot of you, you know, because you're not at this level, you're up at higher levels, you had people in your life who said, hey, knock it off. And that was important for you. The other things that are important to know about this is you can't skip stages, Colbert thinks. You have to proceed through all of these. And these are hierarchical. These are in a kind of order. Some, you know, some things are better than others. Some things are more encompassing than others. So this is an interesting scale. I think a lot of people can kind of get behind this and say, yeah, it makes sense. Does it work? Here's the, the key question that Carol Gilligan is interested in. Does this work equally for men and for women? Now, in her experiments, it didn't. In other people's experiments, it did. This is where it gets very controversial. We're just going to like go down her path and pretend that, that some of the other stuff that makes it a little bit problematic isn't, isn't there. So we're like, when we're doing physics, we're not going to include wind resistance. We're going to make it as simple as possible. So the problem that she posed, and she was a student of Colbert, by the way, is we have to ask yourself whether these six stages are indeed universal, invariant, and hierarchical. So we know they are hierarchical, right? They're, they're arranged in a, in a hierarchy, an ordering. Are they universal and invariant? That is, to say they're invariant, does that mean that you have to be here before you can be here, before you can be here, before you can be here? Colbert says that's the case. Is that really the case? And are these universal? Do these really apply to everybody? Or is this more a, here's where, where she's going with this, is this more a male way of looking at things? So consider this. Traditionally, women have been more associated with caring, with nurturing, with relationships, less associated with the public sphere, more associated with the private domestic <laughs> sphere in which those activities would take place. When women are making moral decisions, and these, these things are measuring what we're using to make moral decisions, the criteria by which we're making moral decisions, are they going to be more up in here or are they going to be more around here? More specifically at stage three, 
where do our emotions come from? We have to sort of leave emotions behind once we get past, or at least certain emotions, certain desires, once we get past stage three. So this is the realm of, if we want to oversimplify a bit, this is the realm of emotion, this is the realm of reason, different kinds of reason. Social contract is a bit inferior to universal ethical principles, law and order is inferior to social contract, but they're all abstract, rational ways of doing things, as opposed to emotion and concrete relationships. It's starting to sound a lot like, like Virginia Hell, right? What we talked about last class. So where are, when Gilligan's carrying out this research, where are most women going to end up on this scale? Probably here. Where are most men going to end up? Here's where she distorted Kohlberg a bit. Kohlberg never claimed that most men or even most human beings are actually up here, he says, just a very small sliver actually make it this far. Most people are, are down here. But she's saying this becomes an exclusively male realm. So what is the implication of that? Women are less moral than men. Women are not capable of the same moral development as men are because, you know, they're more emotional, they, they're nurturing, and that's going to keep you stuck down here. So Gilligan says, this may be an okay scale for men, but we need another scale for women. So she contrasts the three levels. And what she ended up doing was saying that we have a phase where there's an overemphasis on, what do you think? If it's correlated to this, what are these people fundamentally about? The self, right? The self-perspective. And then... It's sort of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. First, the porridge is too hot, then it's what? Too cold, right? The bed is too soft, too hard. So if there's an overemphasis on self, what would the overemphasis be for the second stage? You might think on society, right? Because that's what Kohlberg is talking about here. But what is this about? This isn't about society. This is about society. This is about concrete other people, the people that you're in relationships with. So overemphasis on others and their needs, their wants, their desires, what will make them happy, what will make them flourish. And just like Goldilocks, get away from one extreme, shift to another extreme, and then you find the middle position, which is just right. And this is a proper emphasis on both self and others. So you might say it this way. Overemphasis on self means, or on others means neglecting self. Overemphasis on self means neglecting others and, and what they need. So why does it have to go in this way? Why couldn't you start out maybe being too other-oriented and then being too self-oriented and then finding the proper balance? Because in general, it just doesn't happen that way. Infants are by their very nature very egoistic. Little babies can recognize when another baby gets hurt and they identify with it and start crying themselves. But that's not most of their experience. Most of their experience is wash me, feed me, play with me, look at me, 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 right? So, so there is a, a primitive early stage, and most kids are like that too, whether they're male or female, right? Kids are pretty demanding. Most of you have little brothers and sisters, cousins, have done babysitting. You know this is the case, right? We sometimes like to romanticize children. Oh, they're little angels. No children are angels. None of them. Not a single one. So the idea is, this would be a good scale for male, for female development. So we would have two different scales. And this whole scale 
would emphasize justice. This scale over here would emphasize care. First, caring for the self to the exclusion of others, then caring for others to the exclusion of the self or the sacrifice of the self, then learning how to balance this tension and to properly care for the self and to care for others. That's Gilligan's big point. And Pong tells you a little bit about where this is coming from theoretically, but that's the structure. That's what we're, we're starting from. Shows you a few other things, too, about how they do these tests to figure out where somebody is on these scales. Colbert researchers would, would give you moral dilemmas, and then they'd ask you to say what the person ought to do and then say why. And saying why reveals to you where a person fits on the scale. It would also work that way with Gilligan, too. Why should somebody act that way? What Gilligan was saying that Kohlberg's researchers were ignoring was that a lot of women see moral dilemmas as a narrative of relationships that extend over time. And that doesn't fit very well into the case-based reason that Kohlberg wanted them to do. And she talks about this girl, Amy, trying to deal with this moral dilemma, which you guys might be familiar with. A guy's got a sick wife. Should he, there's different variations, should he break into the, into the pharmacy to steal the, the drug because he can't pay for it? Should he just, you know, steal it? Should he do all sorts of other things? It basically has to do with, if you're taking care of another person, is it okay to violate some norm, some abstract, like, property, right? And this girl, Amy, who's taken as being fairly typical, says if, she stole, if he stole the drug, he might save his wife, but then if he did, he might have to go to jail, and then his wife might get sicker again, and he couldn't get more of the drug, and it might not be good. So they should really talk it out and find some other way to make the money. The researcher said, you can't have that as your answer. You have to, you guys might be familiar with this sort of thing, <laughs> take tests, right? The researcher said she had to focus on the question, hey, should Heinz steal the drug or not? And she started to worry that she wasn't giving the right answer to the right question. She started to hesitate. And doing that places you lower in the scale. So what's going on there? She is being motivated by a different kind of reasoning, a different kind of practical, moral, working things out that we call practical rationality. But one in which it has, like she says here, a different ontology, a different way of looking at the world, as well as a different ethics. Now, there's some more stuff in here about object relations theory and Freud and the Oedipal stage, and we're going to actually just skip over that because that's incredibly controversial, and that's not what Gilligan really wants to base things on if she wants to be taken seriously. But the basic idea here is that, like I said, the importance of separation and autonomy for men leads them to progress on this scale. Autonomy is being in charge of yourself. And that leads them to center discussions of morality around issues of justice, fairness, rules, and rights. So that's the justice perspective. The importance of family and friends for women leads them to center discussions of morality around people's wants, needs, interests, and aspirations. Also, another word that would go in there, well-being, flourishing, being interested in, in somebody else's well-being. So what happens then, women are inevitably going to be seen as less morally developed from this scale. But if you put it in terms of this, this, this offers an alternative. And Gilligan uses some, some examples of women that she actually did an experiment with, having to talk about the choice to have an abortion or to, to carry a baby to a return. Interestingly, she didn't talk about adoption. And she talks about how somebody who is at this very low scale, emphasis on self, might say, well, screw me. Yeah, I want to do whatever I want. Or they might say, well, I'm going to have a baby, but I want the baby there to give me love. And that's why I'm going to keep the baby, which is all sort of, you know, self-based reasoning. The other 
oriented thing might lead the woman to say, well, my, my boyfriend wants me to have this baby, or I only have to think about the, the baby itself, or, you know, you can go on, my parents expect this of me, et cetera, et cetera. What's really interesting is the transition from two to three. And Gilligan calls this tr the transition from goodness in a conventional sense to value of truth. She says, a woman moves from pleasing others, from being the conventionally good, always self-sacrificing woman, to recognizing her own needs, that's the emphasis on self, as part of any relationship. So a woman attains moral maturity when she stops opposing her needs in favor of others, recognizing <laughs> the falseness of this polarity and the truth of her and others' interconnectedness. Now, that doesn't mean that, you know, everything becomes nicey-nice all the time or something like that, because, you know, I mean, what if she's, what if she's stuck in an abusive relationship? That's not going to be a case where her needs and the other person's needs can actually harmonize because the other person needs for her to treat it that way, right? So proper emphasis on self and that would probably be and the relationship, modify the relationship. But in general, this is getting past the self-other duality. So, what we notice with this is there's a, a polarity between justice orientation and care orientation. So that's going to provide us with the basis, the theoretical basis, for understanding all this other stuff with ethics and care. Carol Gilligan is one of the early pioneers of this. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works. <laughs>